Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. Over 250,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Check out the podcast homepage at www.therobburgessshow.com. Check out my website at www.thisburgess.com. Welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 36th episode, our guest is Heidi Byrick. Heidi Byrick leads the Southern Poverty Law Center's Intelligence Project, one of the most respected anti-terror organizations in the world, according to the National Review. She's an expert on various forms of extremism, including the white supremacist, nativist, and neo-confederate movements, as well as racism in academia. She oversees the SPLC's authoritative yearly count of the nation's hate and hardline anti-government groups and is a frequent contributor to the SPLC's investigative reports and speaker at conferences on extremism. Prior to joining the SPLC staff in 1999, Heidi earned a doctorate in political science from Purdue University. She is the co-editor and author of several chapters of Neo-Confederacy, A Critical Introduction, published by the University of Texas Press in 2008. And now, on to the show. This is Heidi. Hi, Heidi. It's Rob. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Thanks so much for taking the time this morning. I appreciate it. Sure, sure. My pleasure. Cool. Um, well, for, for people that don't know who you are, could you just uh, explain uh, who you are and, and your role there? Sure. So, um, my name is Heidi Byrick. I'm the director of the Intelligence Project at the Southern Poverty Law Center. And the Intelligence Project is the part of the center that tracks extremist groups and hate groups. Right, right. And how did you first get involved with the Southern Poverty Law Center here? I've been at the center since 1999. I actually came as an intern right out of, uh, after finishing my PhD in political science. Mm. And so it's, I've been here for a long time and worked just about every job in, in this department. Right, right. And uh, the intelligence report, it really just kind of tracks, uh, that, that's what I always liked about it, it just really tracks across the spectrum of, of every type of, of hate group there is. You really don't focus in on, on one particular thing. So is that is that kind of the the scope is just to be as, as wide and, and as far ranging as possible? Yeah, well, I mean, we like to think of ourselves as tracking extremism from the radical right mm-hmm. broadly. Right. We um, we of course produce two major lists of organizations every year. One are hate groups, mm-hmm. which are the kinds of things people t- typically think of, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and so on. And then we have another list that we put together of uh, extreme anti-government groups. And those are not groups that are uh, part of the conservative movement or care about low taxes. It's not that kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. groups that believe grand conspiracies like the Obama administration is going to come and round us up and put us in FEMA camps, or the government's about to take all your guns, or the United Nations is about to impose global rule on the United States, Those kind, that kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. So those are the main lists we do, but then, of course, we practice a lot of journalism on the radical right in general. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, uh, you know, part of the reason that, that I wanted to have you on, especially right now, of course, with uh, with Trump's election, this is, uh, we, we've entered a whole new uh, period here with, with this kind of stuff. Um, we've seen a lot of, you know, here in Indiana, you know, just even recently. Recently, uh, even before the election in, in Kokomo, where I work, there was an incident where a bunch of political signs and and and, and things like that were, were defaced with KKK. Um, my hometown uh, church, uh, well, not hometown, 
a church I went to in my youth, and Bean Blossom was just defaced with uh, Nazi and, and homophobic iconography. Um, in Bloomington, they, of course, had on the one of the trails the KKK and more swastikas. Columbus, you had, um, you know, Mike Pence's hometown, uh, you know, people at the high school chanting, uh, build the wall, harassing, you know, uh, you know, Hispanic kids. And in Olytic, they had a uh, incident where people of, of uh, uh, same-sex relationship have, have are now starting to go fund me to move because they've been constantly vandalized, especially since the election. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about because I, I appreciate that you guys have been tracking this stuff. And, and I think we're up over 700 now, if I'm not mistaken, of these types of incidents over the country since the election. Is that correct? Yeah, that is sadly correct. I think we're hedging more towards 800 now. Ugh. I mean, look, when I came into the office the morning after the election, we, we just became inundated by um, reports of uh, incidents like you've described. And so we started collecting that. We created a forum for people to report what was happening. And it's been, frankly, pretty astounding mm-hmm. how much um, hate has been expressed across the country. The, the incidents you talk about have been, like, relatively frequent and all over, like synagogues and other places, you know, scrawled with uh, swastikas. Mm-hmm. But there's also been a lot of violence. Uh, Violence as well. A woman in uh, New York in the city was actually punched in the face by um, a Trump supporter for discussing how she didn't like Trump. And that kind of violence or like scary threats put on people's homes. There was mm-hmm. a gay couple, I think, in West Virginia that where someone actually walked up to their door, posted something saying, um, get out. That, that kind of stuff is quite terrifying. And we've just, we do not see these many hate incidents in a couple of weeks. We track these things. We've been tracking them for 20 years and having seven or 800 incidents is usually something you see over maybe like a six-month period. Mm-hmm. You do not see it in a two-week period. So we know that we've got a, a serious and scary kind of hate backlash going on mm-hmm. right now. And what scares me is this is how these people are behaving when Trump wins. You know, think if he hadn't won, like what we would be seeing. I mean, I know people say that they kind of feel empowered by the fact that, you know, Trump is saying these things at the presidential level and now they get to, you know, kind of feel like they're justified. I just, you know, I shudder to think what we'd see if, if the, you know, opposite was true. Say Hillary Clinton had lost the popular vote and won the Electoral College. I just, I don't know. It seems like it would be ten times worse, and it's pretty amazing that this is how they act when they win. So Yeah, well, our expectation was that if Clinton were to win, that we were going to see some serious domestic terrorism mm-hmm. by disgruntled uh, uh, voters, right, mm-hmm. people who were upset about the outcome. I mean, that's what we were girding ourselves uh, for. The irony is, you know, so we're not having that kind of terrorism. Now we're basically having street violence by people who were empowered by the Trump candidacy. It's like sort of a low-level terrorism, right, mm-hmm. that's going on, and particularly focused on um, people of color and Muslims and, you know, the groups that Trump attacked uh, quite vociferously during his campaign. So although we're not having those big attacks, we're having small attacks on a regular basis, which is, you know, it's just scaring the bejesus out of a lot of folks who mm-hmm. no longer feel secure in their communities. Right. And I feel like I read, maybe it was on the um, intelligence report, but this is levels we haven't seen since, you know, right after 9-11 as far as uh, hate crimes, especially against uh, Muslim people. And the people I feel, you know, I feel bad for everyone, of course, that's that's a victim of this, but I feel like ten times worse for people like uh, Sikhs, for example, you know, that are getting targeted uh, just because people mistake them for, for being Muslim. Not that not that it would be okay if they were Muslim or anything, but it's like we, we, we're now even branched out to people that, you know, wear headscarves for, you know, alopecia and stuff and now have to have watch out. You know what I mean? It's like you don't even know where the attack's coming from at this point. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, just like after 9-11 where um, people were killed regardless of their faith because they were presumed to be Muslim, we are we are seeing that kind of a backlash. What What's different this time in, from 9-11 is back then George Bush took that situation extremely seriously. He went to a mosque in D.C. 
and he decried the attacks, and he said Muslims are not our enemy, and basically said this has to stop. Uh, what we have now is a president-elect who doesn't seem to care that much other than to say stop it in a 60 Minutes interview. And what we, need, what we need from Trump is some leadership on this issue to calm the waters, and we just don't seem to be getting that. Well, and you know, this kind of leads into the next thing I was going to ask you about, but I don't, I don't think with the people around him that are advising him, uh, you know, a.k.a. Steve Bannon, for example, uh, I don't know how much of that we're actually going to see. Um, you know, and he spent more time, it seems like, complaining about Saturday Night Live and Hamilton the musical than, uh, you know, taking to Twitter and, and using his influence to, to try to calm this down. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing that we now look at George W. Bush in retrospect as being the, the reasonable one, you know what I mean? It's like this is kind of in the alternate universe or something. So. Well, I mean, look, you're, you're exactly right, and it is a little crazy, and having Bannon in the White House, given, you know, Breitbart's, you know, his website's attacks on mm-hmm. so many different populations, it, it doesn't seem, at least at this point, that these folks really care at all um, about this happening, nor do they seem to think that, you know, tamping down hate and bias and racism is mm-hmm. something that should be on their agenda, regardless of Trump's remarks on election night that he would end the divisions in the country, and that's a pretty scary prospect. These mm-hmm. are fellow citizens who don't deserve, you know, to be facing what they are. Yeah. What, what's scary to me about, you know, the way Trump, uh, you know, handles this type of thing is that, yes, he'll eventually, several days after the fact, come out and tepidly, oh, no, stop, I'm looking to the cameras, please stop, or whatever. It was the same thing when, uh, you know, asked about David Duke's endorsement, uh, you know, pretend, oh, what, what, oh, bad earpiece, I don't know, what, what are you saying? Like, you know, it's like, at the, in the moment, he pretends, you know, bewilderment and doesn't really address it right away, so I feel like that's the signal to, you know, the racists in the country that, you know, go ahead, and then maybe a few days later, I'll, you know, just to <laughs> see why, hey, cover, cover myself, I will say, you know, just don't do it, stop it, I'd announce it, whatever, but, you know, for that in, interim period, I feel like that's the wink and the nod to the, you know, kind of the worst people in his camp that it's like, okay, to just go ahead with this kind of stuff, which is frightening to me. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with you completely. That's exactly uh, what we've seen. I mean, look, Trump, throughout the campaign, tweeted out white supremacist materials. He gave credentials to a white supremacist radio show host. I mean, he played footsie with these people Bannon's website, you know, Bannon himself called it a platform for the alt-right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm not, you know, sometimes you got to wonder where the Trump um, campaign ends and the, the real extremists begin and what that relationship is. Mm-hmm. But there's certainly, it doesn't seem like it'd be so hard to come out and denounce neo-Nazis and, and others and hate violence, mm-hmm. you know, in a formidable manner. He can spend time bashing the Hamilton cast, but he can't do that. And it's, it's just... It, it just doesn't seem serious, right? right? What Bush did was serious mm-hmm. after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Right. And it seems like, you know, this is kind of the culmination of a, a 30- or 40-year project of the Republican Party to, you know, first it was dog whistles, and it was a Southern strategy, and, you know, we were we were kind of creeping up to the edge of this. And, you know, I feel like Trump's basically taken a dog whistle and turned it into a bullhorn, and, and now we we're basically across the Rubicon here because of that. And it seems like, you know, this is what we've been priming the pump for, apparently, with Republican politics all this time, and, you know, now it's kind of just out in the open, and, you know, I feel like in the past generations, with, you want to talk about, like, Rockefeller Republicans or, you know, William F. Buckley, that that type of Republican, I, I feel like they made a point to push out this type of, uh, you know, extremism, you know, because they didn't want to be tarred with that brush, and they're like, no, we believe in these things, and, you know, you may disagree with it, but we're not going to go down this road, and I just feel like we kind of just, the, in, the inmates have taken over the asylum so to say. So. No, I think you're right. I mean, you know, dog whistling but attempting to keep people with racist views at a distance just to win your elections, uh, eventually the people being whistled to decided that uh, they were going to take over. And mm-hmm. you're right. The Republicans put this strategy into place, and it's not surprising that the people they thought they were basically manipulating and controlling to be in office eventually um, were able to assert their power. Mm-hmm. That That's what has happened here. Right. And it, it's been pretty amazing amazing to watch the so so called you know establishment republicans kind of not you know they'll they'll condemn it and then they'll kind of creep back in when they think no one's looking you know because on 
honestly, I think they're scared of their voters at this point. I think they know that if they come out against Trump and, and totally denounce what he's saying, that you know they're going to worry about their own re-election chances now, which is a very scary place for them to be because they can't really you know call out things that need to be called out because they're afraid of losing their jobs. Basically, the way I see it. So. No, well, I mean, I think you point to the perhaps the, the, the even more scary situation that we're in is that's right. They're afraid they'll lose their jobs. A guy just ran for president on racism and xenophobia and misogyny, and he won. And the fact of the matter is that there are going to be other people running for office who will no longer feel like those things should be off the table, but those are the way that you win an election. And until somehow that thinking is halted, we have now um, sort of fused the mainstream and hate in electoral politics, and I don't know how you unwind that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, to kind of go back to the, the hate crimes we were talking about, um, I had written a column about about this, and of course the response from the Trump voters were not very kind, and they definitely were like, well, what about the times when Trump voters are, are, uh, are attacked? So, you know, for the record, how many have you seen of the opposite case where a Trump voter was, was attacked or in, in the opposite direction? Right. Well, first of all, we are collecting those because we don't want um, any hate incidents. We've heard, you know, people have called us or sent us sort of Mm -hmm. emails alleging that we don't care about that. Of course we do. But the fact of the matter is that there's only been a handful of those incidents, but Mm -hmm. they have happened. Um, And of course, they're just as wrong as all the rest of this. But they're a very small minority. Mm -hmm. I don't have an exact count. I mean, I'm talking like literally a handful. And Mm -hmm. and it's ironic that the um, sort of Breitbart and some of the other pro-Trump websites are acting as though this is the majority of the incidents that Mm -hmm. are happening. And what they're doing, of course, effectively is downplaying the whole idea that we have a rash of hate crimes across this country and that this campaign is responsible for unleashing this. Um, And that's unfortunate because, of course, we should all be against that. Mm -hmm. Right, absolutely. No, I feel like they're trying to make this false equivalency. It's like, well, you know, both sides, you know, they both do it. But it's like, no, one is the, uh, this is the logical outcome of a you know this this racist campaign that was that was run, and now these people feel empowered. Versus, and I've literally looked on like the Daily Caller and and Breitbart and these sites to like try to find. Let me see this list of, of you know what you say is happening on the other side. And like you said, it's like I think this, the list I've seen are like less than ten, and they're just a handful of things. And you almost could say that this would you know be violence that just happened to you know somebody was like robbing somebody and screamed out you know oh you like Trump too or something. you know it's almost like incidental to the incident they're talking about. Whereas you know, like like we've talked about, we're we're up over seven hundred, approaching eight hundred on the on the other side. So it just doesn't seem to compare. And I've even tried to find their lists, you know, on the other side, and it just doesn't even add up. So yeah, it's unfortunate that they're striving for false equivalency here. It's also unfortunate, um, in particular on Breitbart, that you see them trying to claim a lot of these things were hoaxes. And I yeah. just I kind of you know I'm like you people are, are now going to be the administration of the presidency of the United States. If this is the way you look at things, I don't know what to say. I mean, even just coming from a law and order perspective, you'd think that they would decry right. this. Yeah. And and you know, and and they're making it seem more and more and more that this is just going to be a way of looking at the world that is racially infused. And when something happens to people of color, who cares? And when people, you know, and when people bring up issues around race or other similar things, mm-hmm. who cares? We're going to downplay it and make it act like it's not happening. And that it's really awful. It's really awful. Oh, it's yeah, it's terrible. No, that's that's the response. Anytime I've I've ever posted or anything about this, that's the immediate response. Oh, probably hoax. No, no evidence based on nothing. Just go. You know, probably I don't know. Probably probably hoax. But, you know, like the one incident I mentioned with the church in, in Bean Blossom, Bean Blossom has one, it doesn't even have a stoplight, or I don't think it has a stop sign either. Maybe it has one stop sign. Anyway, this is an unincorporated community in the middle of nowhere, and, you know, this is an Episcopal church where people know that they accept gay people and all people of whatever, and it's like a, the idea that, like, a paid protester or whatever would, like, drive to the middle of nowhere and do this is, is just laughable if you've ever been there, but this is the knee-jerk response from these people is that, oh, it must be must be hoax. I don't know. No, probably, probably Hillary supporter. You know what I mean? It's like probably not actually. <laughs> like, 
Yes, I very much would like it if they wouldn't make light of such a serious situation. Yeah. You know, I'm sure the victims of these hate crimes and incidents, you know, maybe we need to highlight their um, stories a little bit more so that people who, you know, are making light of this can understand mm-hmm. how painful this actually is. Yeah. Well, and it's super disappointing for, like, evangelical, quote-unquote, Christians to, to jump on this train because it's like, I don't, I don't care what, you know, political persuasion you are. If you see a church defaced with the swastika, I, I just, you just have to, like, open your mouth a little bit, you know, if you're uh, any type of Christians that's self-respecting. It's just like, I don't, I don't really care what your politics are. If, if you're, if that's not your first impulse, I don't, I don't know what you're, what you're doing on this religion exactly. Well, that's, so, that's a fair point, right? Yeah. Like, I, you know, have you seen that any of these have turned out not to be correct? I mean, like, if, if the, it wasn't the way it, it first appeared or somebody misreported, because I have seen, you know, people try to say, oh, some of these are incidences aren't real. So have you have you seen that? I believe there was, um, the one that I know off the top of my head was a Muslim woman who claimed she was attacked. It was like in New Orleans. It was certainly in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And the story did unravel. What we're trying to do is, of course, we're just, we've been inundated with these reports. So we're collecting them. That's already a major task for us. But what our hope is, probably working with academics is to try to go through and actually verify them. In other words, try unless the person who was assaulted or had the incident happen to them and we've already talked to them, we want to go back and verify as many of these incidents as we can so we can get a clean list. Mm. It's just going to take time. And I'm sure some of them are going to turn out to not be what they were reported. I mean, that's just the nature of these things. Right. Um, but um, I'm, I'm, my guess is it'll be a very small uh, minority of them. And our hope is really to get a clean list to have a good set of, set of data that then can be used by prosecutors or academics who want to analyze this, whatever it is. And we want to put that list in the public domain mm-hmm. so that everybody can use it. In fact, we're working with a whole lot of other civil rights groups that are getting these kinds of reports, mm-hmm. like Muslim advocates, like the National Council of La Raza, um, National Hispanic Media Coalition, to combine all of our information in one place and verify it. So mm-hmm. Somewhere down the road, we're going to know exactly what happened here. Right, right. Well, definitely, yeah. Now, what do you say to the charge of, of quote-unquote paid protesters? I, I know there was a story I read about how this guy actually admitted to, to faking this, but there was a thing was like somebody put a Craigslist ad up saying, oh, $3,500 to go protest or whatever, but then it, it turned out, of course, that this person like did this falsely to spread misinformation. So, I mean, what do you say to that charge that there are paid protesters on the you know anti-Trump well, side here? As far as I can tell, they haven't found any evidence. There's been these right. fake news stories, these mm-hmm. end-up things. I can't remember if it was the Washington Post or the New York Times. I think it was the New York Times. Yeah, I know what you're okay, talking about. Okay, and deconstructed yeah. it, right? Mm-hmm. Deconstructed the buses thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, you know, this is another aspect of this election that's turned out to be quite shocking, that people are just making things up, and social media, because of the way it functions, is allowing things that are false but have popularity to just go viral. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, a lot a lot of people are misinformed about things and 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 of course conservative activists who are pro-Trump are using that as a way to spread false information like about paid protesters. Mm-hmm. Look, I was in New York the weekend after the election. There are massive protests going on in front of Trump, Trump Tower. Those are not paid protesters. Those are people who are angry mm-hmm. about the, what happened in the campaign, the outcome of the campaign, and what, what's going to happen to our country with a president who ran under you know ideas that are xenophobic, racist, and so on. And you know, I know um, that Trump supporters want to make light of that and act as though there isn't opposition to this vision of America, mm-hmm. but there is. And people shouldn't forget that Hillary Clinton got, now I think we're approaching two million more votes than Trump. And that, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who are really, really opposed to the kinds of things he's he wants to do, including the nominees that he's put forth so far for cabinet positions. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, the right wing wants to act like, no, nobody's opposed, just a few crazy leftists who are getting paid for it. But that's not the case. There's a lot of opposition in this country. And it's another thing where, you know, Trump doesn't seem to be trying to cool things down. He seems to be heightening them by putting extremists like Jeff Sessions up for uh, 
um, nomination. Right. Who was too racist to be a, ju- a federal judge in the 80s, but now is suddenly perfect for attorney general, which is pretty staggering. That's true. So. And it's also true of some of the other appointees, like Mike Flynn, who's made incredibly uh, anti-Muslim statements, mm-hmm. anti-Islamic statements, and and who have connections to hate groups. The guy who's running the domestic transition team, Ken Blackwell, is an employee of the uh, Family Research Council, which we list as a hate group, and he's made horrifically anti-gay statements in the past. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the transition team and the original appointees are infused by the same extremism that Trump, you know, talked about in the campaign. And perhaps we should have taken him at his word. Mm-hmm. This joke that, um, you know, his supporters took him seriously, but mm-hmm. not literally. Uh, I, I think they should have taken him literally, because <laughs> it's looking pretty literal at this point. Yeah, there's not a lot of metaphor left. It's, it's pretty all out in the open for the most part here. That's right. Um, That's right. Well, I mean, if you what what responsibility do you place on Twitter and Facebook and things? Because when I shared the the pictures of the uh, Bean Blossom Church, uh, it it got retweeted by some pretty prominent journalists, and and out came the wolves. And you know, apparently they're followed by a million uh, Pepe the Frogs and eggs and Nazi anime characters as their avatars. So, um, like, what what responsibility do you lay at the feet of people like uh, you know Mark Zuckerberg and and people like that and and Jack from Twitter? Like, what what is their role in this? I mean, to not only combat fake news, but to, to you know, the, the abuse and people feeling entitled that they can just, you know, take one free shot at anyone they want. It's like, what what, what is their role here? Well, look, I think Facebook and especially Twitter are going to have to take some responsibility for the environment that we're living in right now and for uh, the election of Donald Trump. Um, Twitter has, until just the last few weeks, been, you know, basically paralyzed in the face of an onslaught of hate. You know, they claim to have this terms of service that doesn't allow racial harassment and so on. And yet we saw journalists just get slaughtered with anti-Semitism and all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. throughout the campaign, and nothing was done to stop that. Now, I want to give them credit for suspending a lot of accounts recently. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they didn't follow their terms of service. Facebook had these news feeds that are majorly problematic. And, you know, Donald Trump sort of won the Internet here. Uh, the other thing about Twitter is that a lot of the hashtags that represented um, Trump's positions like Drain the Swamp, for example, you know, they were pushed by open white supremacists and Nazis mm-hmm. and got, you know, got to their trending viral status through that. And I didn't see any complaints from, from Trump about that happening or any actions on the part of um, Twitter to, to stop it. Mm-hmm. So Silicon Valley, I mean, I know this is already happening, needs to take a hard look at itself and think about what their role in our um, democracy is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think when people talk about free speech, of course, free speech doesn't really apply here. These are mm-hmm. private platforms. They can do what they want, yep. right? Exactly. Government. But when you think about the quality of speech or the kind of speech you're encouraging, is it really about, you know, a Jewish journalist writing a story about the soon-to-be first lady getting, you know, pictures of Jews with, you know, guns blowing their heads off? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that the kind of kind of conversation you want to have? I think the answer is no. Mm-hmm. So um, the SPLC is working with some of these companies to try to uh, change that situation. We'll see how it goes going forward. Right. Well, it's kind of sad that they've, they've cracked down on this now because, honestly, I don't think Donald Trump would pass the muster on their, uh, on their new rules about what's a troll or what's somebody that needs to be suspended, because honestly, I feel like he's crossed that line many times, and you know, just the fact that he's the president-elect may be the only reason he's not been suspended, honestly. So, uh, when the when the president-elect doesn't even pass the, the troll test, it's it's a sad state of affairs, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But, um, anyway, that's not really a question. But anyway, um, so uh, you kind of touched on this, but I want to go back to it a little bit. Um, the alt-right, and uh, I actually read and, and printed off this guide that you have here, and uh, it's very helpful and kind Kind of talking about the kind of the history of that. Um, first of all, do you even think we should be using that term, uh, the alt right? Or is that just a way to legitimize these people? I have uh, great concerns about the term itself. You know, the reason people like Richard Spencer and others have taken to that term is it makes it sound like they're part of the right wing, right? Like they're part of mainstream politics. It was very clever rebranding on their part because if they continued to call themselves what they used to call themselves, which is white nationalists, I don't believe that Bannon would have said Breitbart is a platform for the white nationalists. <laughs> so I do have a lot of concerns that people are using this term and 
assuming that people understand that it's rebranded white nationalism, that it, sound, it stands for racism and xenophobia and anti-Semitism in some cases, and that it makes these people seem uh, more innocuous mm-hmm. than they are. Mm-hmm. Their ideas are terrifying. You know, they want to create a white ethnostate. That would mean ethnic cleansing at a, at a minimum. Many of them uh, believe that there are Jewish conspiracies everywhere and Jews should be genocided or removed. We've got Holocaust deniers and all kinds of uh, crazy in this mix. And I'd at least, you know, hope that when journalists use the term, they explain what it is instead of just using it mm-hmm. without without that explanation. I think a fairer term for these people are racist or white supremacist or anti-Semites, depending on the case. At least call them white nationalists. Mm-hmm. Oh, but they're so sensitive when you call them that. They're just so sensitive. They're such little delicate flowers when you call them racist. It's like, look, you say a racist thing, expect to be called a racist. I'm not going to call you your preferred terminology. Because I feel like what it is is kind of what you described. It's, it's dressing up something we already had a word for and trying to bring it out to like a cocktail party or something. It's like, no, I'm sorry, these people are already had a name. We don't need a new name. The only reason to give them a new name is to try to bring them into the mainstream, and that that's not going to happen. At least shouldn't. So that's, that's right. Well, especially journalists shouldn't allow white supremacists to rebrand themselves. Yeah, right? right. I mean, you're supposed to take a critical eye. You know, it's important part of the fourth estate's role in our democracy. Mm-hmm. So don't let them get away with something that's clearly um, absurd and intended to clean up their image, at least public facing. Right. 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 Definitely. Um, now, uh, not exactly the same, but I feel like the uh, the Klan has also seen a, a quite a rise. You know, I saw there was a, a parade or a march or something in North Carolina celebrating Trump's, you know, uh, victory, and, and of course he didn't say anything about that. Uh, I remember the last time we talked, we kind of talked about how the Klan wasn't wasn't as organized as it once was when we had the United Clans of America and things like that. Do you see maybe some more coalescing happening with with Trump's election here and, and this campaign? Well, the Klan, um, look, everybody in in the white supremacist movement, including the Klan, Klan folks, are really excited about Trump, right, and, and thrilled to have him, um, have him win. Uh, even so, the Klan still, now the number of Klan chapters doubled about last year. We'll see. We're in the middle of our counts right now to see what happens with hate groups this year. Mm-hmm. But the Klan still tends to, to squabble among themselves. So even though everybody is aligned and pro-Trump in this movement writ large, that doesn't mean that they're all um, going to be spending time with each other at mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, my guess is they're con- they're going to continue to infight. The place where you see the most uh, coalescing is really among the white nationalist folks, basically racists in suits, like you saw at the National Policy Institute conference this mm. weekend, where there seems to be unanimity and working together um, to support Trump and also to drive Trump to their to their issues, which they feel like, you know, hey, we we voted for you because you care about what we care about, and now we want to see some action on immigration or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. There, um, there's a united front, uh, more so than among some of the other factions of the radical right. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm just perfectly fine with them being in disarray and infighting. They can just keep doing that as far as I'm concerned. But um, we talked a little bit about some of the anti-gay rhetoric uh, coming out of the Trump administration. And, you know, with our governor, Mike Pence, here, we, we've definitely seen, you know, what he's capable of, at least on a state level. Of course, we had the, the religious freedom uh, thing, and then we had uh, kind of a transgender bathroom. You know, I, th- I know that's been going on across the country. Uh, and he also supports conversion therapy, which is pretty horrifying if you really get right down to the details of it. So um, can you talk a little bit about kind of, you know, because he seems like he's going to have a pretty outsized influence, you know, Dick Cheney level kind of pulling the strings uh, from, you know, the, the back room here. Uh, you know, so what what do we need to know about his policies that people might not know? Well, look, uh, this the, the Pence vice presidency and, like you said, the outsized role he's probably going to play as an administrator in particular or a manager of what goes on is pretty scary on the LGBT front. Like you said, he supported one of those religious freedom bills in uh, Indiana. He's probably going to push, you know, for shorthand, they're called RIFRAs, mm-hmm. some kind of a national RIFRA law. Um, I would expect that in any way that he can roll back LGBT rights, he will. Uh, the fact that Ken Blackwell is running the um, 
domestic transition means that a guy who is rapidly anti-gay, rapidly pro-conversion therapy is going to be help make those appointments for things like health and human services, uh, Department of Education, and so I, I would expect LGBT rights to be consistently and constantly under attack in this administration. Mm -hmm. This is a horrific outcome for those of us who care about LGBT equality. Uh, they've already been targeted with some of these hate incidents. I think that reflects some of the driving ideas in the campaign. And although um, Trump says he's not, you know, intending to touch gay marriage, he's going to have a Supreme Court appointment. If he appoints some of the people, one of the people off the list that he provided earlier, we're going to have another gay hater on the court. Mm -hmm. And we have a long way to go uh, in terms of treating LGBT folks fairly in this country. And I'm afraid that their rights have now been put on the back burner, if not, are going to be actively undermined. And the conversion therapy piece is important because the SPLC was involved in a case in New Jersey where we were able to prove that conversion therapy is a fraud. It's it's more than a fraud. It's um, It can be quite horrible and destructive to the people subjected mm -hmm. to it. There's no medical association in the United States who supports that. But now we've got a vice president who does and a guy leading the domestic transition who does, and that also doesn't bode well uh, for gay people in the United States. Right, right. And, you know, conversion therapy is definitely another one of those terms that really isn't quite satisfying to how, how horrific uh, this is, you know, being electroshocked while, you know, you're showing gay pornography to, like, try to avert you from being gay somehow. It's just, you know, and these are kids that get, this gets done to a lot, and it's just, it's just horrible to imagine that somebody with that much power believes that that's the correct way to go. It's just, and then it's super galling because Trump claims to be so LGBT. You know, I remember his, uh, uh, you know, acceptance speech at the Republican National Convention was talking about, you know, protecting all our LGBTQ. He even got the Q in there, you know, and he's got, you know, uh, Peter Thiel on his team, who's a gay man, obviously, in Silicon Valley. But it's like, you know, in, in policy, every policy aspect, you know, look out for your rights because they're getting pulled back as far as I can tell. So, Well, I think the entire civil rights movement um, is going to have to stand really strong on this front mm -hmm. because that that population, the Muslim population, the impending deportations, these are all issues of people losing their rights. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a really it's quite a scary prospect, especially the deportations. And mm -hmm. any kind of attempt to normalize conversion therapy would be a disaster. Because like you said, the people who are who tend to be destroyed by it are tend you know are often children in evangelical families. Families mm -hmm. who are subjected to this because their, you know, their family can't stand the fact that they were born the way they are, and they they try to use all kinds of crazy stuff to quote unquote fix them, mm -hmm. and that's not what it's about. It's about acceptance, not some fake hope and and terrifying psychological stuff to try to fix people. Mm -hmm. Right, and I, I think I remember maybe this was a year or two ago. One of the uh, creators of the largest uh, conversion therapy centers, I, I feel like, just totally did an about face and said, "Look, this is a fraud. I'm sorry." and then it shut down. I don't remember the name of that person, but I do remember that being a thing. Um, so, I mean, I just feel like, like you said, no no medical professional thinks this is this is okay, right? This is totally discredited. Yeah, it's been denounced by, you know, every medical association there is. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, we've got somebody in the in the vice presidency who apparently doesn't agree with the entire medical establishment. That's, you know, that's disconcerting as well. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the climate denial. It's like all of a sudden facts and science are out the window in in, in kind of a jihad against uh, what these folks see as, you know, leftist ideas. Mm -hmm. and, and they don't care about the truth. And yeah. they don't care about the damage. They right. don't. That's why I was saying that the civil rights movement has to really stand together on all these fronts at mm -hmm. every step of the way to try to protect vulnerable Americans. Yeah, I think that's really the, the biggest punch to the gut of the last couple weeks here is that I just, you know, I personally just came to the realization it's like, you know, before the campaign was over, I was like, oh, good, I get to relax after the campaign done, this has been horrible, but at least, you know, I'll get to, you know, kind of take a break after this, and now it's like, no, you, you guess what, you have to fight for stuff that you thought that we decided decades ago, and we're going to have to, like, be vigilant at every turn, because now everything's on the table, you know what I mean, it's just, it's kind of, you know, it's just disheartening, you know. Uh, no, that's 
that's exactly uh, right. Going to have to fight harder than people did during the uh, during the campaign for these issues, and mm-hmm. I don't really see any other any other way forward because there's a lot of people who are going to pay dearly if we don't stand up for them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is this is why elections matter, mm-hmm. right? This is why elections matter. Very much so. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, one thing uh, I know you probably have a pretty thick file on this, but uh, one person that has kind of uh, you know creeped out of the 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 fringes here to to be a real voice is Alex Jones. Um, and you know when I when I was in college and stuff, I used to think of him as kind of an entertainer, and you know I thought he was kind of funny. And you know he's he's in you know these movies like Waking Life and Scanner Darkly, and he's sneaking into Bohemian Grove and he's screaming with his shirt off, and I was like, oh this guy's this guy's hilarious, whatever he's harmless. But now it's like I feel like he's he's been taken in by Trump, he's been taken in by you know uh, these the anti-Semitic you know uh, views that that just are, are vile, and I just feel like he's he's totally crossed over, and now he apparently now has a direct line to the White House now, because, I mean, Trump's been on his show several times, um, you know, he's apparently very close, he has uh, Roger Stone on his on his show all the time, you know, to, you know, who's a, just a known <laughs> terrible person, but uh, who's, uh, you know, a person that advised Trump, so for people that don't know who, because we've talked about him on the show before, but for people that don't know who Alex Jones is, can you kind of give a rundown of, of that? Yeah, the situation with Alex Jones is it's pure madness, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy is a conspiracy nut. You know, he doesn't believe the Sandy Hook uh, yep. shootings happened the mm-hmm. way it did. He believes crazy conspiracies about uh, globalism. Um, his show is just one, you know, ridiculous conspiracy after another, and it's shocking to see Donald Trump uh, endorsing this fanciful and really scary thinking. And, you know, people... I mean, I understand that people can watch Alex Jones and find it humorous, but for those who take it seriously, it's no laughing matter. You know, there are uh, four people who died in Las Vegas, two cops and two Mm -hmm. civilians, after two of uh, Jones's, you know, really huge super fans went on a shooting spree there, Jared and Amanda Miller. Mm The the site gins people up, and that's sort of the worst of it. It gets people to side with you know crazy militias and other kinds of extremists, and and frankly, it serves basically as like a gateway drug to even harder core uh, ideas like neo Nazism. Mm-hmm. And it should be Alex's show should be seen for the scary thing that it is, mm-hmm. not some kind of a lark. And I don't know what the heck is going on when a president-elect is thanking Alex Jones. It's just shocking. Right. Well, not just thanking, but you hear him aping and, and you know, you know, saying things that Alex Jones will say. And I'm sure you've seen this clip where Alex Jones says that um, Obama and Hillary Clinton were, were possessed by demons and that they smell like sulfur and they smell like hell and stuff, you know, all this, you know. And then you hear during the debate, you know, one of the debates, Trump literally calling Hillary Clinton the devil. And it's like, you'll, you'll hear Alex Jones say something something like that, and then you'll hear Trump say it, and it's like, there is a connection here. He is advising this person for all intents and purposes. So. Yeah, he's mainstreaming Alex Jones's extremism. I mean, I don't I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, right? You know, and he thanked him after the election, and it's like we're in the bizarro universe here, right? Yeah. Alex Jones is a man to um, be condemned and, and, and to have his crazy ideas rejected, and that's not what's happening in your you're right, Roger Stone is, you know, pals with Alex Jones, and that just continues with the mainstreaming of conspiracy theories and false news mm-hmm. and wrong-headed ideas, and um, it's inexplicable, yeah. really. Yeah, it really, really is. Um, now, kind of go to go back to the anti-era, the... the uh, uh, anti-Semitic piece. Um, how did the Republican Party, who I've always heard being the pro-Israel party, and you know they they love you know the Jewish state and stuff, how did they get taken in by by these by these neo-Nazis and these anti-Semites? It's just it's amazing to me because I've always heard, oh Democrats they hate Israel and they really don't like Jews and stuff. But now it's like okay, but which party got taken over by the by the white supremacists? You know anti-Semites. You know it's just it's just amazing to me. Well, this anti-Semitism, um, you know, like was displayed at MPI this weekend and lives in this world that, you know, the headline on Breitbart calling um, Bill Crystal a renegade Jew. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, first of all, it's insidious. It's terrifying. We know where this leads. We've been here before historically in Germany. It's um, 
a god-awful path to go down and that, that, that even this stuff is being flirted with by people like Bannon who are now in the White House is, I mean, it's just scary. It's good that the um, Holocaust Memorial Museum in D.C., you know, called on uh, the Trump administration yesterday to get rid of Bannon, mm-hmm. and that um, Jewish organizations and other civil rights organizations are protesting Bannon's appointment and coming out against it, because we have got to reject this. Mm-hmm. It has got to be rejected. Right. We, can, we cannot normalize racism, hatred, and anti-Semitism. You know, people have lost their lives trying to stop these ideas. Ideas to vote, you know, vote, vote and fight for equality, mm-hmm. and and I don't know how it is that here we are in 2016 with the technological wonders we have in the diverse society that we live in that we're having to go back to saying this is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, right. that's perhaps the most disheartening thing about everything that happened with the election. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and you know, the really scary part. I mean, there's so many scary parts, but one of the scariest parts is that Trump seems to not be that interested in details and policy and stuff, and he really just likes to delegate that to people around him. But he's basically surrounded himself with just the worst people. You know, if he had, you know, maybe more people like Mitt Romney, who you know is apparently up for Secretary of State, but we'll see about that. Um, you know, it's you know he's just you know the only people that are willing to be around this guy are just the dregs of political life and it's like he's not interested in you know being uh, executive here and making decisions but boy the people around him sure are and they've got some pretty scary ideas so it's like you know like you were saying with the the Bannon thing it's like this is the person that has his ear and he basically just goes with the last person that talked to him and these are the people that that are there so it's it's pretty frightening so yeah it is absolutely terrifying <laughs> yeah sorry again not a question just to sort of commiserate Agreeing with you completely and not knowing what to say about this, except for my lord, what has happened here? Exactly, exactly. Um, now, I definitely don't want to shy away from the anti-Muslim uh, part of this because I feel like this is one of the big issues of our time. Um, and one of the uh, the things that I that I just uh, read here was your field guide to anti-Muslim extremists. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that publication? Yeah, well, I mean, even before um, the Trump, the Trump. You know, before the election, uh, we had seen an incredible amount of rising hate against Muslims in the last year. Some of that was because uh, Trump made anti-Muslim statements, but there was also a backlash to the San Bernardino attacks by two radical Muslims. Uh, there was, you know, some question about the shooter in Orlando, um, whether his motivation was anti-gay or because he was a radical Muslim, and that produced a backlash. So the Muslim community and people who are perceived as Muslim, right, have been facing um, an elevated level of hate crimes for a while now. In fact, the FBI's hate crime statistics for 2015 showed that category of hate crimes having a big jump Mm -hmm. as well. So we're very concerned that when people talk about the Muslim community, that it is talked about in a fair manner, Mm -hmm. right? That when people go on uh, cable news or, you know, whatever news source, that they're um, legitimate people to discuss this issue, not people motivated by hateful ideas. Mm-hmm. So we we wrote this field guide for journalists in the you know attempt to say, hey, look, if you're covering this issue or you're talking about the Muslim community or difficult things like Islamic-inspired terrorism, right, mm-hmm. which is a real thing, right? We're not here to say that this doesn't happen, obviously, and that the government shouldn't care about it. Mm-hmm. But at least talk to people who don't harbor anti-Muslim ideas when you have that conversation. Mm-hmm. We can have a legitimate conversation about uh, radical interpretations of Islam and how they contribute to terrorism and what leads to radicalization in this world, just like we can about white supremacists. Mm-hmm. But of course, we need to have people who are talking about it not because they hate, you know, the, I don't know how many millions of uh, Muslims are out there or frame this discussion in the sense that all Muslims are terrorists. Mm-hmm. What's probably scariest about this now after the election is Mike Flynn, who is going to be um, the head national security person. Um, is connected to anti-Muslim hate groups and has said some absolutely heinous things about the Muslim community. Mm -hmm. So 
Right. And a, no, and a, and a sharer of false news stories, too, also that's, on his social media. So. That, that's right. Yeah. So these views that we were so concerned about are going to be right at the heart of the national security establishment. Mm-hmm. And that that is also frightening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can add that to the list of frightening things that happened. <laughs> As if I, I, didn't have, I didn't really need any more on that list, but I guess we can add it. Um, so, yeah, one of the people listed here is uh, definitely, I think, up for one position or another in, in, uh, in Trump's administration, which is Frank Gaffney, and just I've read about him, and he's just he's just a very scary person who's apparently now being considered for some top level positions, and you know he believes just some crazy conspiracy theories. I believe one of them was that a logo in in the uh, some intelligence uh, project in the uh, in the government was being uh, taken over by the Muslim Brotherhood or something, and he just shares these like crazy conspiracy theories. And this person now is apparently on the short list for some high level security job. So. That is correct. Well, there were some reports that he was advising the transition team that were then retracted. Oh, really? Um, But but that doesn't matter. The Center for Security Policy, which we list as a hate group, as an anti-Muslim hate group, Mm -hmm. um, and Gaffney have been in, you know, have advised Trump through the campaign. Mm -hmm. He reported some of their results. They're close to a lot of folks that are involved in this campaign. So, yeah, this guy's a rabid Islamophobe, and Mm -hmm. it looks like he could play a role or support people who play a role in the administration going forward. Mm-hmm. So again, one more thing to be terrified about. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, two people I was kind of surprised to see on this list, and maybe you could tell me uh, a little bit more, uh, are Ion Hersielli and uh, Majid Nawaz. Um, the reason I ask about them is because I, I'm a, a fan of Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris and, and Bill Maher, so I you know, I don't I don't subscribe to everything they say, but I do think that they have some, some good points, and through them I've I've kind of found these these people, but they, they ended up on this list, and I was wondering if you could kind of explain what the reasoning behind putting them on there was here. Sure, sure. I'm a big fan of Bill Maher, too, and mm-hmm. some of the people that you say, although right. I don't always agree with Right, exactly. I don't sign up for everything they about say. About Muslims. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we came up, the, the list was actually compiled in, um, in a coalition uh, with other groups that fight for Muslim rights, and mm-hmm. um, these two folks, uh, although they're a little different than, like, Pam Geller or Frank Gaffney right. are seen because some of their views about how Muslims function, their, um, in particular in Majid Nawaz's case, this idea that Muslims are infiltrating the universities in Britain, he's written these kind of conspiracy-type language, mm-hmm. that, they, we, that the Muslim community would prefer that these people aren't the ones who comment on their community because they stereotype Mm -hmm. and they talk about Muslims writ large. Mm -hmm. And the guide was intended to to make a point, you know, we're like not putting all these people on the hate list or putting them on an extremist list. We're saying if you want to talk about Muslims, these people's views are not the ones that you should be talking to. Mm -hmm. So it's not an intent um, to sort of shut these people down. It's an intent to say that kind of conspiracy thinking is what leads to bad ideas about Muslims mm-hmm. in the public at large, and you should not be furthering that. Right, right. Um, and definitely, you know, I, I definitely agree with you on that. We don't want to have that information out there. Um, my concern is, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a white guy in the Midwest. I have no, you know, no authority to speak to a Muslim person about how they should deal with their own religion. I, I wouldn't presume to tell them. So I guess the best person, you know, in my eyes to, to talk to somebody, uh, you know, maybe try to get an interpretation that was a little different from the Hadith or the or the Quran of, of these verses that you know jihadists use would be from within the Muslim community and I guess my, my concern was you know maybe these people are are in a better position to, to speak to other Muslims than I am you know so is there maybe a, an example you could provide of somebody that you think is from within talking the right way about about these issues here sure well look there, there are a host of academics who talk about these issues Muslim mm-hmm. and non-Muslim but when um, I think from within the community, First of all, there's tons of Muslim rights organizations. But you could talk to, for example, the people at Arab American News. You could talk to Muslim advocates mm-hmm. and many others um, about these issues, none of whom are going to sidestep the fact that radical Islam does lead to terrorism, mm-hmm. just like white supremacy leads to terrorism. Mm-hmm. But we don't say all white people are, are susceptible to uh, white supremacist ideas and mass killings that these people perpetrate mm-hmm. be, because they're white or because they're 
Christian, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem is that's often how the Muslim community is treated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it gets worse than that, right? Muslims are sort of singled out as being responsible for the quote-unquote terrorists in their midst, mm-hmm. right? Like they have to police their own communities when we don't ask that of anybody else. Right. So those are, um, those are all folks that are good to talk about. There's also just like good terrorism experts, like for example, Peter Bergen, right? Mm-hmm. You could talk to, you know, he works, often writes for CNN and um, is with the New America Foundation. He, mm-hmm. he could talk at length about these issues. Right. Um, the program on extremism at George Washington University, the folks there are specialists on this topic. That's what I would suggest. Mm-hmm. And get, you know, get people who, who are really um, knowledgeable about these issues to... Uh, right. Yeah, we, we definitely ask a lot of, you know, uh, Arab Americans to like, oh, talk, you know, talk, talk about this in your own communities. It's like, when are white people ever asked to do that? Like, you know, I, frankly, I'm more scared. I'm a white person. I'm more scared of white people right now than anybody. You know, I just feel like that's, if we're going to start telling them, but talking about talk to your own communities, I feel like white people have the, you know, just, just dumb white people have the most responsibility right now for, for talking to their own communities, quote unquote. So, you know, we, we need to apply it. If we're going to apply that rubric to them, we need to apply it all over. So Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, we're getting close to an hour, and I thank you so much for, for taking the time here. And I did want to end on kind of a more fun note, because we do talk about music every time. So what music have you been listening to lately? <laughs> now that we've been talking about all this nonstop hate for 50 minutes. So, <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm, I'm not much of a music aficionado in general, but I do have satellite radio. Uh-huh. And um, when I've been trying to check out from the election downsides lately, I've been actually listening their 70s channel and nice. disco because it's fun yeah. and it's and it's meaningless and uh, yeah. they'll put a smile on your face. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm having to seek out things that, that do that for me now because my, you know, I, I kind of felt like the campaign was entertainment, but I kind of assumed that Hillary Clinton was going to win, so I don't, in retrospect, maybe it wasn't, shouldn't have been so entertaining and now I have to like search out things to like take my mind off of what we're living through right now, so... That's, that's where I've been. It's been like a little NPR and a little uh, disco. Yeah, exactly. And, and some Beastie Boys, frankly. Oh, thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, I'm sorry, now we have to bring it back to hate, but did you see that the Adam it, it, the park was defaced for, for I, MCA? Can you, can you I believe know. this? Like, I know. Is nothing sacred? No, nothing sacred. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> nothing is sacred now. Well, hey, good for the neighbors around there for holding a um, unity rally afterwards and rejecting this and, and the yeah. boys condemning it because that's that's what a president needs to do. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and I have to say, you know, even even as we talk about all this hate and all this small-mindedness, you know, the, the amount of love and solidarity and, and coming together I've seen has really been heartening, you know, from people who have seen these things and then they respond in a, in a really positive way. And like you said, you know, these, these uh, you know, acts of vandalism and terrorism happen, you know, they're mostly done in the shadows at night and these people are, you know, cowardly with the spray paint and stuff. But when when we you know see the responses to this, it's out in the open and it's open hearted and you know as much darkness and, and sadness as there is right now, it is nice to see that there's not everybody in the world is terrible and and you know we have to remember that and kind of find solidarity with each other. I, I feel like that's important. So I completely agree. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, is there any way? How can people support the Intelligence Project and the Southern Poverty Law Center? And, and what would you recommend as far as you know? Because I know the ACLU is been getting a lot of, you know, uh, you know, donations, you know, is there any other groups that you could recommend to us that, that we kind of support? Because I feel like that's going to be our bulwark is places like the, where you are and other places like that. Here. Sure. Well, p- people have kindly been um, supporting our work as well. If you want to learn more about these issues, obviously you can go to our website at splcenter.org. But there are a broad swath of um, civil rights groups, some of whom I've mentioned here, Muslim mm-hmm. Advocate, I agree with the ACLU, Muslim Advocates, National Council of La Raza, the National Hispanic Media Coalition. These are all um, folks who are allies in this fight. And in fact, you can find a pretty um, extensive list of organizations, both big and small, all kinds of areas um, on the Leadership Council for Civil and Human Rights website, all of whom are working uh, to make you know our community fairer, more equitable, and so on. So I'd encourage people to look at those civil rights organizations. There's also Human Rights Watch. I could go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. But LCCHR has a, a really good list of groups that work on these issues, and all of them are deserving of support. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, most definitely, for sure. Um, well, is there anything else? I know we talked about a lot, but is there anything else you wanted to, to say before we go, kind of to wrap it up, or anything, any issues we didn't touch on here? No, no, but, I, you know, thank you for having me on, and uh, the disco and the Beastie Boys will, has put a smile on my face, yep. which is good. That's actually a great <laughs> suggestion. I'm going to go do that here soon. So. <laughs> great. Well, thank you so much, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. You take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.